Again, if you have your Bibles, we're in Romans 10 this morning. And I'd like to preach to you a message entitled, How Shall They Hear? How Shall They Hear? It's a question that's embedded in this text. You may have heard this story. It's a true story. About 240 years ago, there was a gathering of pastors or ministers people that were very interested in ministry. They might not have been ordained ministers, but they gathered in Northampton, England to discuss ministry and what was going on in their parishes and their churches. At the end of the meeting, the host pastor of College Lane Baptist Church, his name was John Ryland, asked everyone to please submit ideas publicly, questions that they could discuss at the next meeting, or perhaps Um, statements or topics that would be a great um, launching pad for their next gathering. A young 25-year-old shoe cobbler raised his hand, and he asked permission to speak. He was not an ordained minister at the time, so he was given permission, and he said, I'm wondering if Matthew 28, 18 to 20, what we know as the Great Commission, if we should be busy about giving the gospel to the heathen. Should we be doing more than just claiming the verse that says, Lo, I'm with you always, according to the King James, until the end of the world? Should we all be actively sharing the gospel? John Ryland was older at the time, and it appears that on that day he was a little bit persnickety because he yelled at William Carey. That was the 25-year-old cobbler's name. He said, Young man, sit down, sit down. You are an enthusiast. And if God desires to save the heathen, the pagan, he'll do it without you or I. Now, you know, Carrie was what we would consider to be the father of modern missions. And Carrie didn't listen to the advisement, and I'm glad he didn't, and we should all be glad he didn't, of John Ryland on that day. But should we expect that God uses human means to save humans? Well, our text, as Joe Muckle just read, tells us that indeed God uses human means to save humans. So every human that's in here this morning that's been saved, born again, rescued, converted, God used human means to save you. So what does that mean for us as we understand what is being talked about here in Romans 10? Now, just a quick reminder... This is what we would consider a theodicy. There is a question that maybe we didn't think of asking that has been asked after the heights of Romans 8. And that question is, if all these promises are really going to come true for the Christian, why didn't they come true for Israel? Because they were given similar promises and so many of Israel are not saved. So in chapter 9 he says, well the answer is, all Israel is not Israel. So everybody who was born a Jew was not part of spiritual Israel. They were not part of the elect. There were those that were Jewish by descent who did not believe the gospel. Chapter 10, he's going to deal with the question of rejection. They rejected the Messiah. But in this text, we would say it's probably the greatest text that we have in the New Testament that sends us off into missionary endeavor. And he does it so persuasively So I'd just like for us, real quickly, to look at, I would, I know you don't believe this, but I'm going to give you five quick aspects of how God uses human means to save humans. Some of you are saying, okay, that three o'clock game's coming. No worries here. No worries. God uses 
human means to save humans. I want you to see, first of all, that Paul reminds us in chapter 10, I know we've covered this before, but I want to highlight it again. He says this, that God uses human means to save humans because he gives humans compassions for people groups. He gives humans compassion for people groups. You'll notice again, he says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel, our prayer for these people, he's talking about Israel, is that they might be what? Saved. In chapter nine, what did he say? We almost think he's speaking in hyperbole. He said, if I could be accursed from God and they could be saved, I, I would choose that. Again, it sounds like he's exaggerating, but what he's expressing to us is that God uses human means to save humans and he starts it by placing affection, broadening the heart, broadening the emotions, broadening the desire and the care for one group of humans for another group of humans to be saved. Paul expresses the same kind of emotion and desire. You'll notice this, it's kind of a chain. He says, I desire for them, so I care for them, which led me to prayers for them, which led me to sharing the gospel with them. Do you see that? So it all started with the care, which led it to the prayers, which led it to the sharing. It's a chain that's kind of unbroken because if it doesn't start with the care, there'll never ultimately be a share. And if it doesn't lead to prayer, there will never be a share either. And Paul lays that out here. It reminds us of our Lord Jesus. We're told on multiple times in the gospel that he would look at the multitudes and he was moved with what? Compassion. Now that Greek word, I love trying to say it, and I put the emphasis on trying to say it, splagginsomai. And the reason why I like saying it is because it doesn't mean what we think it means. When we say having compassion, we generally are thinking just, you know, kind of a shallow emotion perhaps. But the Hebrew mind would express their feelings by saying, you know, I feel it in the gut. I feel it in the kidney. I, I feel it in the lungs. I, I, I feel it in the gallbladder, right? Okay, so, so right down there deep, I feel it. So what they are essentially saying is Paul is saying, I have a compassion for a group of people, so much so that my heart's desire has led me to pray for them that they might be what? They might be saved. So here's a question for us. Do we have any people groups right now that our care for them has led to regular prayer for them that we would be able to share with them the good news of Jesus' saving grace in the gospel? Or do we read something like this and say, wow, Paul, you had a big heart. Praise God for you. Are, are we more in the mindset of William Carey? Is this what God's people are supposed to mimic and imitate? Are we all supposed to have hearts that are broadened for people groups that would lead us to pray for them, that would ultimately lead us to share the good news with them? Do you have any people groups that you really have a heart's desire for? Maybe it moves you to tears, maybe not, but it certainly moves you to pray for them. I, I think immediately we start thinking of those closest to us. It doesn't take much convincing for all of the parents in the room to say, my people group that I really care for and I really pray for and I really want to see saved my own children, right? Maybe it's your parents who are not saved if they're still alive, or perhaps it's siblings or some other close relatives. I, I think those are kind of natural circles, but do we even find ourselves in the care that leads to prayer, that leads to share? 
most of you know that I grew up in the South. I lived in Mississippi and South Carolina for all of my up to college, after college years. But I've spent more time actually now in New England and the Mid-Atlantic uh, than I have in the South. But, but I still have like this warm, gooey spot for all things Southern. I, I still do. And, and about the only place you can get it in New England or the Mid-Atlantic, at least in sights and sounds and taste, is Cracker Barrel. It's about the only place. And if you get a waitress who happens to have a southern accent, I'm just like, I feel at home. They call you honey, sweetheart. Would you like some more sweet tea? I'm like, please, please, yes. Even when I get around my parents, I, I've lost most of my southern accent, but when I'm around my parents, I get wide and brat. Everything slows down, right? Why? Because those are my people. You ever say that? These are my people. But do we have any people where our hearts are expanded that are similar to the Apostle Paul? I, I want to challenge you again. There's a big stack of them, I think, that Pastor Joe just placed on the middle table. This is what we received when we just had our, our um, training with the exchange. And it's called the Fine Five, or writing down your first five. And it's simply thinking about the, the people groups that God has given you a heart for and writing down their names the categories they have are friends and families, associates and acquaintances, neighbors and strangers. And you put these on a list and it reflects your care, which leads to prayer, which leads to share. I want to be real honest with you that the biggest problem I've found in my evangelism is actually not having a heart for people. I find that there are a lot of people groups I really move towards because I want to see them saved but I've lacked in the prayer. And because I've lacked in the prayer, I'm not conscious of the share. And here, the Apostle Paul is gonna kind of lay out this grand evangelistic encouragement. But he starts with a compassion for a people group. So maybe it's your hairdresser. Maybe it's your dentist. Maybe it's your neighbors. Maybe it's your neighborhood. Maybe it's your bowling group. Maybe it's the group that you play pickleball with. I don't know what you do, but do you have a people group that when you're around them, you start thinking, these people will spend eternity somewhere. They're all eternal souls. And Paul says, my heart's desire and prayer for them is that they might be saved. So it starts with a compassion for people because God uses human means to save humans and he starts that work in his people's hearts. Secondly, I want you to see that there is a typical rejection that most of us, when we start sharing and praying and caring, will face. It's not always true, but this is the typical one. So I want to tell you there's a typical rejection that he speaks of here. In other words, let's start with the untypical. The untypical rejection would be somebody who's a complete atheist or agnostic. And there are certainly friends and family members that we meet like that. But I would say generally, those that we meet in this country, even though we're becoming more and more post-Christian, have some Judeo-Christian value system that can be built on. And so we're not always starting with everybody we meet or have compassion for with there is a God. Let's talk about the apologetics of his existence. On many occasions, we're dealing with this very typical rejection. And what is it? Paul says, these people that I care for, I pray for, and I want to share with, 
they have a real ignorance. He's not being putting down on them. He, he says, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. So they're religious. They're actually religious in their own way. Have you heard this? They're doing something to try to establish their own righteousness, but they're not knowledgeable according to what the scriptures say. So he says they're zealous, but they're not understanding the truth of the gospel. So how does he describe them? He says, here's what they're doing. They're actually trying to establish their own righteousness because they're ignorant of the righteousness that has been provided for them. So here's what our sinful religious hearts typically have a default setting with, right? I've got to earn my way to what? To heaven. There's certainly got to be more good works than bad, so I've got to earn my own righteousness. And he says they're ignorant of this righteousness that's actually been provided as a gift. We've been studying that throughout the book of Romans, right? This word justify, justification, righteous, righteousness, is sprinkled all over the book of Romans. It's the big mega theme. How does a just God make unjust people righteous? By his righteous son. Amen? That righteousness is provided, but they're ignorant to that. So what are they doing? What do people who are ignorant that there is a righteousness that can be placed on your account by substitution, what do people who are ignorant of that do? They do what's normal. They try to do good stuff to try to work up their own what? Righteousness. That's what he says in the text here. He says they're ignorant of this. Look at verse 4. That Christ is the finish line for all law righteousness. No one ever should go down that path again. Because Moses actually said it this way, and he quotes Moses in verse 5, and he says Moses wrote about this. And he says the person who tries to get righteousness based on the law, that person has to do the commandments perfectly. So if you go back to the text that he's quoting here in Leviticus, it's, it's hey, if you want to go down that path, here are the requirements. If you want to earn your own righteousness through law, you got to do perfection. No mess-ups. No do-overs. James put it this way. If we break the law in one respect, we've broken what? The entirety of the law. So what he does is he quotes Moses. He says, Moses understood this. Even when he gave the law, he's reviewing the law in Deuteronomy, but he says to them, if you want to go down the base it on law performance righteousness, you better have bad a thousand. You better bowl 300. And it's not just one game. It's every game. I was talking to a friend the other day, and we were just discussing the first lesson in our Bible study on the exchange on the holiness of God. And those of you that took the course or have gone through the Bible study, you know that that first lesson, we end it with the Ten Commandments. And it was interesting. He said to me, he said, yeah, I was going through these Ten Commandments this week. And he said, I'm familiar with them. He said, but I just found out how hard it is not to take God's name in vain. He said, you know, I, start, I started, I read that commandment. I said, okay, I said, stop doing that. And he said, I found out it's really hard to stop doing that. I said, you, you're right. I said, have you thought about the last one? I mean, the last of the Ten Commandments says I'm not even supposed to want other people's stuff. So it's not just words, not just actions. It's my wanter. I mean, try controlling your wanter. And then we went a little further. We started talking about, well, there are two ways to get this righteousness, right? So if we could keep all the law perfectly, 
it seems as the scriptures are saying, those kinds of people would earn their own righteousness. If you could do it, if you could keep all 10 perfectly, if you could keep all 600 plus perfectly, you could actually earn your own righteousness. I said, what about this? And we would just talk in theories. It was kind of tongue in cheek, but it was a good conversation because it was revealing of both of our hearts. Because what we started, said is, okay, what if we got like a freebie from all of our 40 something years prior to this morning? And all we had to do was be perfect from now to when we die. I mean, would that be good news if we left this Bible study and our goal was, I've blown it a lot for the first 40 so years, but now I'm just going to try to be perfect. And he said to me, he goes, that would be really bad news. <laughs> I said, you're right. That's really bad news. And, and, and this is the typical unbelief. And so why I want to bring this to you is almost everyone that the Lord gives us audience with, and again, I know there are exceptions, but almost everyone the Lord gives us audience with, they're going to have a similar response to the gospel that, you know what, I don't want somebody else giving me my righteousness. I would rather what? Earn it on my own. This is a very typical rejection. So Paul is, he's beckoning them. He's saying, listen, even Moses said to you, you can't keep it perfectly. Do you know how heavy that weight is? The Lord Jesus put it this way, and I know these are familiar passages, but folks, God uses human means to save humans, and we need to be ready that the number one objection to receiving a free gift of God's righteousness is I'm all set, I can do this on my own. What did Jesus say? Except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will all likewise perish. Some of you are going, yawn. Don't yawn at that. These, these guys were extreme righteous dudes. <laughs> okay? So, so the, he just took the bar and he went way up here. He says, except your righteousness exceed the Pharisees, you're going to perish. So this is the typical rejection. We should be ready for it. God uses human means to save humans. First of all, there is this compassion for people, groups, there is this typical rejection, but third, I want you to see, it's an accessible salvation. The, the other kind of objection is, that's too hard. Actually, it's just the opposite. This salvation could not be more accessible to people. Now, we're familiar with these verses, but look at verse number six. He's already said, this is what trying to get righteousness by law will do. Could I just stop here? There may be some here today, and you've been sincere, I believe, these Jewish people were sincere, trying to establish their own righteousness. And this morning, if you were completely honest, you've been doing that. You've got a mental scorecard going. If you have a really good week of living righteously, you're hoping that in the great day of judgment, that will be what pushes you over the line. Please hear this. The scriptures say that if you're going to go the law-earning righteousness route, you gotta keep it perfectly. But he says the righteousness that comes by faith, he personifies it, it says something else. Remember this? So righteousness personified says something else. Here's what it says. You'll notice in verse number six, do not say in your heart we will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. These very familiar words. That is the word of faith that we proclaim because if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? 
For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. He's not saying two things here. He's using almost like a parallelism, parallelism that we see in the book of Proverbs. He's saying you confess with your mouth, you're justified, you believe in your heart, you're saved. He's using those in a similar way. What is this telling us? He's telling us that salvation is not something that's far off. God has brought it really close. He uses, again, a quote from Deuteronomy where Moses is talking about the giving of the law. Again, he's reminding them. He said, please don't think that this gift that God gave his redeemed people was so far off and so undoable that you'd have to cross deep seas and climb high mountains in order to accomplish it. Oh, no. It was right there on your mouth, right on the tip of your tongue. He uses that and he says, please don't think this way. How am I going to get up to heaven and, and, and try to earn my way there? He said, that is to bring Christ down. That is to assume. So when somebody tries to work for their own righteousness, sometimes we use expressions like this, don't we? We say a person is trying to earn their way to heaven. When somebody tries to do that, they're doing this very thing. They're acting like salvation's not accessible. I got to do a lot of stuff in order to get there. He said, that's to act like Jesus was never incarnate. Do you see the text in the parentheses? That might be a little confusing. We've gone over this before, but he's saying, for me to say I'm trying to get access to heaven by my works is to act like Jesus was never incarnate. It's to bring him down. You don't need to do that. He's already come. Or you may say, well, I've got to figure out how to deal with my physical death, my coming spiritual death or my present spiritual death and my coming eternal death i mean death's happening to everybody around me so i've got to do something for after death that's to bring christ up from the dead as though he didn't resurrect from the dead when he resurrected from the dead he said final it's all finished right now we can be justified not only did he complete the substitutionary work on the cross but when he rose from the dead we are declared justified and some of you went blank on me there He's giving this, I know these are common truths, and sometimes with Christians, if we're not careful, they become collective yawns for us. Folks, he, he's saying salvation is so accessible. Don't try to work for it. That's to bring Christ down. Don't try to somehow appease for your sins. That's to act like Jesus Christ didn't actually rise from the dead. And then he gives us these fours. These, there's five fours here. Does that wake you up? There are five fours here, F-O-R's. And you'll notice he, he basically argues here. And I gave these to you in four words on your handout. First of all, he says that there needs to be, here's how accessible it is, you just need to say something. Now be careful here. But he, but he does say you need to say something, right? What is it? Jesus is, Jesus is. And when we say he's Lord, we're saying he's God, and we're saying he's sovereign. We're confessing his deity and his sovereignty. And then he says it's also internal. It's not good enough just to say words. It has to be believed on in the heart. So he says, this needs to take place as heart belief. Folks, I want to test you. Would you ever be tempted? And I'm not saying this sarcastic. I'm doing it to help us. Would you ever think in time of need to call out on Buddha to help you? Now, again, I'm not trying to be snarky or funny. W would you ever call out Allah or Muhammad or some other God to rescue you. The only reason I'm trying to narrow that definition, again, is not to be comical, but to be helpful. You call on someone that you believe in, 
And so he's saying it's verbal, it's also internal. So when Asaph was just baptized, Pastor Joe reminded us that what was happening is to me, this is one of those picture moments where we're able to see the visible of the verbal and the internal. We know that just getting wet didn't do anything for Asaph. But what it did was it was a confession of what happened internally. Thirdly, it is doctrinal. We must believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that God rose him from the dead. Do you see that in the text? There's a horrible quote. Some people try to attribute it to St. Francis of Assisi, and I'm not sure he ever said it. I like to think he didn't. But the quote is that you may see on bumper stickers, or people will say it from time to time, give the gospel as much as you can. Preach the gospel as often as you can. Use words if necessary. Folks, there is no way to give the gospel without using words, without communicating some content. So the, the only way for someone to be saved is to understand, here's how accessible it is. If you will verbalize, if you will internalize, and if you will believe and rest on this doctrine, that Christ died for our sins and was raised, you'll be saved. And finally, it's universal. He begins to quote Joel here, and he says it's not just for the Greek. It's not just for the Jew. This is for everybody who calls on the name of the Lord. Praise God. Now, folks, will that motivate us this morning? That the gospel that we get to chatter and share and spread is not just for the beautiful people. Just the opposite. It's for every people group. Every people group get the opportunity to be what? Saved. Now, folks, that should light your fire. Even if the wood's a little waterlogged, this should light your fire. This is not something that's complicated. It's profound, yes, but it's not complicated. God came near to us to rescue us, and you must believe, and you must confess. Fourthly, I want you to see that this is a logical, logical progression Paul is going to do some reverse engineering. We have some engineers in the group. You know what this is well. You usually probably don't do reverse engineering. Reverse engineering can be a bad tactic. It's how people take patent items and they go and make it for themselves. This has happened in times of war. This has happened even in times of, of not war, just surveillance. There have been um, drones shot down by countries that are not allies of our country and they try to shoot them down in such a way that they can pull them apart, put them back together again, and then have our technology. That's called reverse engineering. What you do is you take something, and you kind of go from the start, and you work backwards, right? And then you get to its, its, its last part, and you're able to put it back together again. That's the theory. Paul kind of does this with this, and he's reminding us that God uses human means to save humans. Look at verse number 14. After saying, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Don't miss this, folks. He's going to go backwards. He's going to go from being saved, and how will they call? Here they are. He's going to give us four rhetorical questions that deserve a no or negative answer. He'll give us 14. How then will they call on him they have not believed? And how will they believe on him they have not heard? And how will they hear without someone what? Preaching. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So here it is again. We have the saved people, so just look at this line. I've got it on your handout, but if you don't have the handout, just look here. You've got saved, people saved. That means they called, right? But if they had to believe or they don't what? Call. 
and they're not going to believe in something they haven't what? Heard about. And they're not going to hear about it unless there's somebody to herald the truth. And they're not going to herald the truth unless they've been commissioned to do it by God. Do you see this chain here? He's reminding us that God has used, ordained human means to save humans. Folks, think about it. He could have saved us different ways. He could have decided, I'm not going to use those people. They're very undependable. But he's chosen. According to 2 Corinthians 5, Paul puts it this way. He says, not only are we ambassadors, but it's as though God did beg you by us, be reconciled to him through Christ. Do you see this chain here? This chain of reverse engineering. He's reminding them of how God has designed for every person to be saved. So I want you to think about this for a moment. Where do you fit in this? Some of you, you fit here at the beginning. You've never called on Jesus because you've never believed. You'll notice that in this chain, there are certain things that are the human's responsibility who needs to be saved and certain responsibilities of those who are giving the message. Do you see that? They're all worked together. Who designed it? God did. So some of us in this room have not been saved because we have not called, because we have not believed. And today you need to believe in Jesus and call on him and you'll be saved. But what about the hearing? What about the heralding? And what about the commissioning? I want to finish with the inexcusable rejection that we see at the end of this passage. Paul's going to quote six Old Testament passages. And he's basically going to start with that very familiar one. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good tidings. And basically the good tidings that they were bringing had to do with the Babylonian exile. And they came with this message, our God reigns. Or your God reigns. We've been rescued. How beautiful are those feet? We've heard a lot about beautiful people, right? We don't hear much about beautiful feet. Are your feet beautiful Mine are not. Physically, I run a lot, so they're not, not pretty at all. But, but he's not talking about the physical appearance. He's talking about feet. Why would, he, why would he isolate feet? Because feet talk about what? Movement, progress, going. How beautiful are all those feet who are taking the good news to others. Now, who commissioned the one in Isaiah 52? you read the context it's none other than Jehovah so God did the commissioning so let's go back to our reverse engineering does Israel have an excuse because they have not been saved because they weren't commissioned to hear the message answer no there was a commissioning and then there was a preacher now some of us hear preacher and we think that's what you do pastor actually this is the word that would mean herald someone who pronounces good news and I think Too often we think of preacher only as the person who's up here on Sunday mornings. But he's saying, no, anyone who is scattering the good news, and I believe according to the scriptures, Matthew 28, with William Carey, what he said, as well as what you see in passages like Acts 8, where the the apostles aren't scattered, but everybody else is scattered, and they're preaching the word everywhere they go. I believe God's people are God's human means to spread the gospel. So, did Israel get any gospel preachers? What's the answer? Yes. So, we're going back, reverse engineering. Are you with me? Okay, so they got commission. They heard. He asked that question. He said, did they hear? He said, yes, they heard. But there was a problem. Where did it fall apart? 
They, had, they, they were commissioned. There were preachers. They heard. But here's where it fell apart. Everybody hear this. He said they didn't believe our report. Those very famous opening words of Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report? And what he's going to say is, you had commissioning. You had a preacher. You heard the word. But you didn't believe. So you didn't call. So you're not saved. So this passage actually is a theodicy. It's defending God's righteousness and how he has dealt with Israel. And we're going to get to chapter 11, and we're going to see even more good news about how God is going to again extend his hand to Israel. But listen to how he finishes this. Look at verse number 20. I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. What he has done is he said, you provoke me to jealousy so many times by your idolatry. And now I have turned the tables on you, and I've provoked you to jealousy because I have Gentiles now, which represents most of us in this room, who are now coming to me, and they knew nothing about the Torah. They did nothing to seek me, but salvation is so accessible. Now the Gentiles are being saved, and you don't like it. And I'm provoking you to jealousy just like you provoke me to jealousy with your idolatry for centuries. You say, well, listen. That's the way he's going to drop the mic? No. Look at this other verse from Isaiah 65, verse 2. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. I want to ask you a question real quick. How long can you hold out your hands without putting them down? We're not going to try it right now. I was thinking about that this week. I didn't actually try it in my office, but I was thinking, I wonder how long I could do that. I think I might could do it for six or seven minutes. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe I think too well of myself. But could you do it for a whole day? I don't think so. I tried to look up the Guinness Book of World Records about people holding out their hands. I couldn't find an entry there. But God, God's saying here, I've held out my hands all of this time, and I continue to hold out my hands. What, do, what does universally, almost, holding out the hands represent? Come to me. Welcome I want you to be reconciled. Now, folks, it's easy for us to read a passage like this and say, those Jews are just so disobedient, they're so stubborn, they won't hear, they won't listen. I fear for young people that grow up in this ministry or grow up in Christian homes. And it's not because you haven't heard. It's not because you haven't been exposed to the good news of the gospel. It's not because... There wasn't a commissioning and an opportunity. You still haven't believed. This morning, Asaph talked about as a nine-year-old, he's believed and he's called. Maybe you're not so young. Maybe you've been here a long time, but, but you've never believed and called. Folks, God is a holy God. He will not tolerate any sin. So trying to get your own righteousness is a futile way of trying to earn entry into a relationship with God. He not only is holy, he's just, and God will always punish sin. But he didn't leave us in our predicament. What he's provided, he's provided his own son because he's loving. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. But you must believe, and if you believe, you'll what? You'll call and God is gracious. This is a gift. It's so accessible. 
But folks, understand this. Israel was out excuse. And his argument here, have you ever wondered, why does God argue like this? Why does he go into arguments and you're kind of wondering, did anybody even ask that question? He gives like five Old Testament quotes. Some of them just seem obscure. And you're kind of like, okay, God, could you have delivered that a little more daily bread format? I mean, th- this one's kind of like, why, why, why the arguments? I mean, and why does preachers, why does pastor preach on it? I mean, it's just like, you, you know, I believe one of the main reasons the Lord gives us these arguments that are so tight, so compact, is so that we'll think on the scriptures, see their consistency. There's not a different God in the Old Testament than we see in the New Testament. But I think further, by working through these arguments, we begin to think like God thinks about how he uses human means to save humans. And sometimes the only way for the collective yawn to stop and for people to stop just doing church like we always do it without any compassion without any care that leads to prayer, that leads to share, is for God to take you and argue with you. And if you'll hang on to the arguments, and then you hear them and you go, there is no excuse. And you have commissioned me as a herald. Will we care? Will we pray? Will we share? Folks, I want to commend to you that with God's help, I want God to change my own heart. And I know the elders feel the same way. We've talked about this much recently. And I want to commend to our whole church family that a passage like Romans 10 is here not just to teach us about how God didn't totally reject Israel and how he has a future for them. Those are great curiosities that are going to be enjoyed as we get into chapter 11. But folks, I believe that there is a bigger purpose for God's people. And it's a reminder that he has commissioned us all as his people, to share the gospel with every creature. Amen? May we be busy with that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for passages like Romans 10, even the complexity of so many quotations, yet we know that they're here for our good, for your glory, to build up your people, to convict those of sin, righteousness, and judgment who've yet to submit to the gospel. They will not obey the gospel. They will not believe the gospel. And so, Lord, we pray today, especially for those who are here week after week, who've never bowed the knee and said, oh, God, I cannot, on my own, earn a righteousness that will be acceptable. I need another righteousness, an alien, a separate, outside-of-me righteousness that's been provided by your Son. Lord, we pray today there be those that would Believe and call on you. Believe that you have risen your son from the dead. Lord, we pray for all of us as believers that you would remind us of our commissioning. While we weren't there when you, Lord Jesus, were about to ascend into glory, we believe that this commission is not just for the apostles, but it's for all of us. And we pray that we would have hearts that are expanded toward people groups. Give us an understanding, a vision that every soul will spend eternity somewhere, that every soul is born alienated from you, a life without God, hopeless in this world. 
And Lord, we pray we wouldn't hide the good news and put the candle under a bush, but that we would let it shine and we'd be chattering about the gospel to others. Lord, change your church, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.